Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called Rightly Divide the Word of God for the People of God. And today we find ourselves still in the book of Ephesians. We are studying through that book and we got down last time into chapter number two. Uh, I am coming to you from the road. Uh, I am actually in Montreat, uh, North Carolina today. Uh, there I am. I am on the campus of Montreat College, and uh, it started out about 38 degrees, but now it's a beautiful sunny day. This is a beautiful school. Um, Billy Graham and his wife were actually married here in the chapel, and when he retired, he retired to Montreat. So the Graham family is very involved, was very involved in this school, and still Still are. I've seen his uh, his daughter actually around the campus, um, but uh, Presbyterian is what uh, this campus is and what Billy Graham was. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a beautiful campus, and uh, I'm really enjoying being here at it. I've been here several times. Uh, it's near Black Mountain. Uh, tomorrow I'll be making my way over to Boone, North Carolina, um, <clears throat> Appalachian State. University. So, uh, but anyways, I am sitting here, and so I decided we'd go ahead and get into session nine. And session nine, we'll actually pick up in verse number six. Uh, just for a little bit of review, verses one through five is what we looked at last time. And you hath he quickened, let me get my translation here, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And quickened means to be made alive. And it's not speaking of a physical quickening, uh, but a spiritual. Uh, Adam died in the garden spiritually first, and of course, eventually he would die uh, spiritually, uh, I mean physically, but uh, he was, uh, to be quickened means to be your spirit, to be made alive. And of course, with that comes eternal life and everything, the reverse of the fall, um, and then in verse number two, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the emphasis is that dead people walk according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil. And his point is that people who have been made alive no longer do this. Uh, they are not like the children of disobedience who are the lost. The Greek indicates that they have no faith at all. And then verse number three, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby, children, nature, whereby nature children of wrath, even as the others. First um, <clears throat> John talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and we talked about that last time. The lost man lives like that. The lost man is sensual. He lives based upon his senses. If it feels good, he does it. He fulfills the, the lusts of the flesh, uh, the desires. And uh, as such, they are children of wrath, just like the heathen. They're heathen, just like uh, uh, the lost. They are lost, so... It's been said that while a dead man might feel comfortable in a coffin, a live man does not. I mean, it's kind of freaky to lay down in a coffin. Why? You're not dead. You don't feel at home. It's not where you belong. Uh, 
when we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, it's all we knew. But now that we've been made alive, it's no longer comfortable. And children of the day no longer feel comfortable walking in the darkness. It freaks them out. You know, in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, it says, For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Don't walk in the darkness. Uh, Ephesians 5, 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You know, this verse says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. What has the clean got to do with the unclean? Uh, as children of God, our conversation in time past was in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and the mind, because we were by nature the children of wrath, just like the rest of them. But then in verse number five, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, before we were quickened in sins, he's quickened us as together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved. But God has to be two of the greatest words in all the Bible. He loved us anyway. He loved us in spite of ourselves, not because of who we were, but because of who he is. And that word quickened, notice it says he hath quickened us together with Christ. That means he has made us alive with Christ. You see, it, it, it's also used up there in verse number one when, we, when he talked about quickened. Let me get back over there. Verse, bam, verse number two, quickened to be made alive. And again, Paul seems to be pointing out the power of God as evidenced in the resurrection and his exaltation to the right hand of God that he just mentioned in the previous chapter. In chapter number 1, in verse number 19, that was what he was talking about when he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he set him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Paul is still following that track. And then notice in the verse that he mentions also mercy and grace, meaning they are not the same thing. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, while grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay, so in that verse there, um, he says... But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our sins. In other words, he didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us what we didn't deserve. He quickened us together with Christ. And then notice he says in parentheses, this is what you would call a parenthetical statement. He says there, for by grace... Are ye saved? Are you saved? Uh, that is a parenthetical statement there. Um, in other words, Paul wants them to understand that their salvation was completely unmerited. It's nothing that they did, but it was the result of God, not of them. It was of faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was not a result of anything that they had done. And here in verse number six, we get into some new territory and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As such, now that we've been made alive, we have been raised up together to ma and made to sit where? In heavenly places. How? In Christ Jesus. This is the position of the body of Christ. 
the the promises remember the promises for Israel are earthly while the promises for the body are heavenly we are not looking for an earthly kingdom we are looking for a heavenly one um, I see significance in the fact that he says that we are in heavenly places in Christ not with Christ but in Christ let me do that typo there um, and there is a difference. Right now we are in Christ, but one day we will be with Christ. Isn't that true? And when will we, we be with him? You know, ultimately at the rapture of the church. That's what we're waiting for, the rapture. The rapture is necessary because the body of Christ has to be removed so that Christ can once again, so God can once again focus his attention on the nation of Israel. Remember, when Christ came, he legitimately offered them the kingdom, and the kingdom wasn't rejected when they crucified him. They had to crucify him. I mean, the book of Hebrews tells us clearly that he had to be crucified. Where's that at? It's in uh, Hebrews chapter number 9, and look down here in verse number, um, verse number 15. Um, notice verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the new covenant of the new Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first Testament, they, which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So remember the book of Hebrews is written to who? It's written to the Hebrews. I'm not a Hebrew. You're not a Hebrew, are you? I mean, you might be. I don't know. You know, but, you know, the whole book opens up. I mean, he's talking uh, to the nation of Israel. Notice, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time passing to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by him he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, so he is writing to the nation of Israel. He's writing to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. Uh, so the book is not written to the body of Christ, and that's something that I've come to understand uh, in the past three, four years. Um, the Hebrew epistles which is Hebrews through Revelation, why are they called Hebrew epistles? Because <laughs> they're written to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews is not the body of Christ. It never will be. Um, and the body of Christ, guess what? Is not the nation of Israel. Now, the only way that you can say that is if you conflate the two and you say, well, yeah, you know, the church replaced Israel um, and now all the promises that he gave them, they're for us, and Matthew through Revelation is all for the body of Christ, because now, you know, the, those Jews rejected their Messiah, and now <clears throat> the church is Israel. That's the only way you can get there. You know, that's, you know, I mean, that's what the Reformed folks do, and unfortunately, that's what most dispensationalists do. Uh, they don't rightly divide between um, the nation of Israel and the body of Christ. But back to Revelation chapter 9 and verse number 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. So 
who committed sin under the First Testament? Well, the First Testament was given to who? It was given to the nation of Israel. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Hebrew nation. Christ had to die to forgive the transgressions that they committed under the First Testament. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Notice in verse 16, And for where a testament is, there also of necessity be the death of a testator. Well, who was the testator? Jesus Christ. And he says, For a testament is of force after men are dead. In other words, Christ had to die in order for the sins that were committed on the first one to be forgiven so that the new one could be offered. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So, the first, <laughs> I mean, what he's saying there is Christ had to die. He had to die to forgive the sins that the nation committed under the first one so that he could offer the second one. And he did come to offer the second one. And when was the second one offered? All through the book of Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, the Twelve, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They didn't say it's here, it's at hand. But Christ had to die. And when Christ died, Pentecost, 50 days later, Peter, the one that was given the keys, stood up on the day of Pentecost and offered the nation of Israel the kingdom. And they rejected it. And as a result, and we've talked about this many times, the nation started to fall into decline or into the diminishing. The nation was set aside because they rejected the offer of the kingdom. And you and I now are living in this grace period, the time that's called the postponement, because what should have happened, which is this, didn't happen. What should have happened is the nation of Israel should have repented at the preaching of, of Peter and Stephen, and they would have rolled right into the seven-year tribulation, which would have culminated with the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. But they didn't do that. And as a result of them not doing that, here we are. We are in the age of grace. We are in the mystery that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. So, um, right now, we are in Christ, but we are not with Christ. We will be when we're raptured out so that God can finish his work that he began with the nation of Israel, which is the time of tribulation, which is referred to as Daniel's 70th week. Okay? Uh, so, in is now, and with will be someday. Uh, Philippians 3.20 can't remember why I put that reference there, but let's take a look at it. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even able to do all things unto himself. One, right now we're in Christ, but one day we will be with Christ. Les Feldick does a wonderful job of pointing this out in his teachings. I'd encourage you. The, the body of Christ, Jew, Gentile, we are now in Christ, but one day we will be with Christ. Notice verse number seven, that in the ages to come, 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So he is still building on the previous verse. I mean, if you look through Paul's epistles, the man did not like periods. I mean, I mean, look in verse number one, Ephesians chapter number two. No period after one, no period after two, no period after... Well, the period doesn't come until the end of, chapter, of verse number three. And now in verse number four, he's got a comma in four, five, six, seven. The period doesn't happen until verse number seven. So that tells us what? It tells us that verses four through seven are one complete thought. But God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, he's made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we've been saved and he's raised us up together. He's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. So he's still building from the previous verses. And in someday in the future... We will not only be in Christ, but we will be with Christ. When, we, when he ultimately shows the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then verse number eight, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we, the body of Christ, how are we saved? We're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. There's nothing that we could do. We couldn't repent. We couldn't get baptized. We couldn't do good works. We couldn't turn over a good leaf. We couldn't, you know, I mean, nothing we could do to be saved. I mean, it's not of works. And faith is not works. Faith is not a work. Um, as such, none of us have the right to boast. None of us have the right to boast. We are saved by grace. Grace is an acronym for God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's how we're saved, through faith. And again, there's a difference between what the Twelve are preaching and what you and I are preaching today. The Twelve required repentance and baptism. That was the kingdom gospel. That was for the nation of Israel, exclusively to the nation of Israel. Gentiles could be proselytized into that. Uh, but it was a message for the nation. It was a kingdom gospel. It was required for the kingdom. Um, but for you and me in the age of grace, and really anybody now, Jew and Gentile alike, I mean, there's no difference between the two now. There's no difference. The middle wall of partition has been taken away. Um, we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift. What is a gift? A gift is something you don't have to pay for. A gift is something you don't have to give something in return for. It's just freely given. You know, when I give somebody a gift, I, it, there's no strings attached. I don't ask for anything in return. It's, it's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, there's nothing to brag about, okay? Um and I believe, and this is just a little caveat, I do believe that the faith being referred to here goes back to Galatians 2.16. Um, in Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, in other words, there's nothing you can do 
but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Notice that. It doesn't say, but in the, but by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. It says, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. How is a man justified? By the faith of Jesus Christ. It was his faith. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. He's the one that exercised faith first. And all we do is believe that exercise that he, he made for us. And not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no man be justified. Okay? Uh, so I believe it's talking. It's going back to that faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. I mean, he's the one that it was the faith of Christ, and we put our faith in the accomplished work that he did. It's our faith in his faith is what justifies us. It is his faith that is the gift of God to all who believe in his death, burial, and his resurrection. And that is the gospel for you and me today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel that I preached unto you. Paul preached the gospel. Was, what was it? Repent and be baptized. No, it doesn't say that. It says, I declare unto you the gospel that I preached unto you, wherein you received it, wherein ye stand, and by which you are saved. We are saved by the gospel that Paul preached. What was the gospel that Paul preached? For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. What did he receive? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That was the gospel, the grace gospel that Paul taught. And there's no mention of repentance or baptism or getting right or joining the church or speaking in tongues. Nothing. It just, you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's it. It is the gift. Uh, it is his faith that is the gift of God to all believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And just one little caveat, and I'll close for the day. Uh, grace is not exclusive. In other words, it is also worthwhile to mention that grace is not exclusive to this dispensation. Um, in the Old Testament, I mean, the only reason God didn't destroy man more than he did was grace. God has always shown grace since the beginning. You know, the fact that he just put Adam and Eve out of the garden and didn't kill them was an act of grace. The fact that he allowed Moses, uh, Noah and his family to build an ark to escape uh, the judgment was an act of grace. God's always shown grace. So grace is not exclusive to the time period in which you and I are living. God has always been a gracious God. Um, so when we use the word grace to describe this time period that we are living in, right here, when we use that word grace there, we are just talking about that God did not do to the nation of Israel what he should have done. They deserve judgment. And he didn't bring that judgment on them like he was going to. And instead, he said, Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. He showed grace by raising up the Apostle Paul and allowing Israel to be put aside for a while. That was an act of grace. So when we call this the age of grace, that's what we're talking about. And next time we'll look at verse number 10. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ unto good works, 
which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. We'll talk about that in our next session. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, he loves you, that he wants the best for you. He's working all things out for our good.